Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Here we go! Carter relaxed and smiling. Oh! He slapped him! Like I don't like you because you're dangerous. I don't give a fuck what you say, motherfucker. Yes! He shot! He has done it! Maverick, we're hit, we're hit again! Damn it, Maverick. I'm on my way. Three, two, you can be my wingman anytime. This is the Believe in MMA Mavericks podcast, featuring your hosts, Mike Straka and Ike Feldman. Welcome to MMA Mavericks. I'm Mike Straka along with Ike Feldman. We're here, Mike and Ike, doing the uh, MMA show here. And uh, we got a pretty packed show today. We got Josh Thompson coming on. The legend, the UFC Hall of Famer, Pat Militich is coming on. And of course, Ike Valley Flag, who is one of my favorite fighters out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, and he's all, he's, he's, he's making some noise in bare knuckle boxing, isn't he, Ike? For this episode and this episode only, I will take a backseat to another Ike. That's right, you will. Because that, <laughs> Ike, will, cause that Ike will kick the shit out of you. Yeah, yeah fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I'll take a trunk ride, actually. I'll, I'll jump in the trunk of that car. But, you know, let me ask you, Ike, what, what are your thoughts on bare-knuckle fighting? I mean, I, when I first came out, I was a little skeptical, but I, I'm pretty I'm, I'm pretty impressed with how they're, they're doing. They're holding up well. Um, I, I don't know the science behind it. I was asking Trent Rinesmith when we had him on about the smaller gloves versus the bigger gloves. Obviously, now we're down to just hand wraps with the bare-knuckle boxing. I don't know if that's safer because of the points of contact, but the one thing we do know, the scar tissue is just outrageous. Like uh, the Chris Lieben fight or Jason Knight or Artem Lobov, the, the scar tissue is the most dangerous. Everybody ends up looking like Nick Diaz at the end of this fight. Yeah, that's, that, that's going to be an issue in the future, no doubt about it. Uh, I'm, I'm actually surprised it gets sanctioned, to be honest with you. <laughs> Dude, it's pretty, pretty barbaric, if you ask me. That's like the Sherlock Holmes movie with Robert Downey Jr. They're just punching in like a barnyard with no shirts and uh, no gloves. So it's pretty barbaric. But Ike Valley Flag is killing it. <laughs> 3-0 in, in uh, bare knuckle boxing. Yeah, I mean that Melvin fight was a little hard to watch. I, I like Melvin a lot, but I think he needs to uh, hang up, hang up the the bare knuckles. He's been in it at it for a minute, man, and he's had some vicious knockouts. And uh, we have great guests who talk about this, like Pat Militich, like who ha- are from the old school, but they train properly. I feel like a guy like Melvin is one of those that just had many gym wars and many cage wars, and just needs to hang it up, man. Like Chris Lieben's from that that uh that school of thought about just laying it all out there few fighters like cowboys have made the transition where you hear about the gym wars and then you hear later on in their career they're just hitting pads hitting focus mitts and saving their head i mean i think we need more of that yeah i agree with that 100 percent. you know and and like like pat militant said you know they're, they're training smarter not harder these days and uh you know i think um i think that's a good thing you know, we—if you think about it—everybody on the show today is 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 back. For, even Josh Thompson, man, he's been—he he was forty and forty and three before he even got into the UFC. Yeah, the amount of wars that we have on this podcast are crazy. I mean, uh, I don't know many wars that we've been in. We just uh, 
maybe the debate wars or the verbal wars, but dude, the, the collective battles between these guys are fascinating. And, and ironically, Josh Thompson, he's new age. Now he's a visionary broadcaster. He has his podcast with John McCartney. Uh, and then, uh, Pat Miletic, he has his hand in almost every, uh, small promotion MMA wise. And he does a podcast conspiracy farm and that, that promotes conspiracy, which is a very new age type of thing. And it's, it's, it's funny because I always compare new school versus old school, but Anthony Rumble Johnson's a new school guy and Kevin Lee are, is a new school guy, but you hear about the horror stories and Johnny Hendricks about the horror stories about their weight cutting and their nutrition and their dietary outside of the cage. And it's just like, maybe it's not old school or new school. Maybe it's just common sense as Pat Milton says. Yeah, I agree with that hundred um, percent. And you know, as, as I said, when I was cutting weight, I, nobody taught me how to cut weight. I would just starve myself and eat fucking ice cubes all day long. You know, <laughs> and, and I'm a little guy. I didn't grow till my freshman year in college. I wrestled 118 in college, and I go, to, I show up at college, and I'm 145, 146. And I'm like, I got to make 118? This is ridiculous. You know, you're not getting paid for that shit. Right, right, right. I mean, uh, probably nowadays, man, it would probably be a lot easier. I mean, Pat laid it out very simply about the nutrition and what he was eating back then. But you were a college kid, man. You got to avoid the parties. You got to avoid almost the social life. And college wrestling, man, it doesn't get enough credit. Amateur wrestling is a beast and takes a toll on the body. Uh, Gregor Gillespie told me face-to-face, he's like, you you serve your sentence after your four years of collegiate wrestling. Absolutely. And, no, the worst part is when you got to make weight just for the wrestle-off and then you lose. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you were telling me that. you got to make weight uh, in practice with no cameras, no opposite team, no uh, outside eyeballs, and you have to fight to make your spot on the team. Like, why do you have to make weight for that? That's, like, contradictory uh, to the body, and it doesn't make sense. You're making weight twice. Well, I mean, presumably, I mean, you're not supposed to cut as much weight as we used to cut. You know, they don't even have a 118-pound weight class anymore. It's 125 is, is the lowest in college, and I think 108 is now the lowest in high school. So, you know, I think they're making strides and not letting people cut so much weight. This uh, transitions perfectly into the UFC Norfolk card with uh, Davison uh, Figueredo and uh, Joseph Benavides. Figueredo missed championship weight by two pounds, man. We hear a lot of stories about the Brazilians. They don't have nutritionists. Jose Aldo just got a nutritionist. What's your thoughts about the whole situation that he didn't make weight? He didn't win any belt. And now the flyweight division, some people are worried that it's in flux and that it might not continue. Uh, I think there should be a rematch because of Joseph Benavides' credentials and his history. And uh, Figueredo didn't respect the, the bout or the, the rules and regulations and didn't make weight. What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, it's, it's tough for me to criticize somebody who can't make weight. I mean, I know they're professionals and I know it's irresponsible. I know that's what Pat Militich will say. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, do, I, I, I do, I caution anybody that's going to, that's going to make a, a, make waves. Yeah. Should it be a, a rematch? I absolutely should be. I think it should have been called a no contest. Um, but you think about it, the, that flyweight division has been in flux for, for as long as it's, it's existed, you know, and I just think maybe, maybe it should go away. Wow. Just like that. Yeah. I mean, come on, dude, that, that would have been your weight class coming out of college. Hell no, I would have been 55. I would have, been, I, would have, I would have pulled a Frankie Edgar. I would have said, I don't care how small I am. I'm fighting 55, and I'll prove you all wrong, like, like Frankie did. We all know I remember, how much you love I remember, I remember Joe Silva. We were in uh, UFC down in, Rich, uh, in, I think it was Virginia. Uh, there you go. It was like one of, the fir- yeah, one of the first fights in Norfolk, I think. And 
Frankie had just, uh, I guess he, he beat BJ Penn and Joe Silva's walking through the auditorium and he sees Frankie and he goes, all right, man, I'm never, ever going to say you're too small for 55 ever again. <laughs> he goes, you proved me wrong. He goes, I was the guy saying it all along that you're too small for 55. And now you just proved me wrong and you proved the whole world wrong. So that's what I would have tried to do anyway. I probably would have got my butt kicked by Frankie anyway. Uh, that that's all grandioso and everything, but uh, dude, you want the? I'm back back to the. I'm just. We need more time for this. The flyweight division. You want to just just wipe it away under the rugs? Like, wow. I mean, if the UFC are, they're always running thin on like fighters for main events. Like, you put a belt. You have an extra belt to play with. Uh, I know the names aren't there, but Cejudo. Is he just one of a kind that we're not going to get another uh, marketable smaller weight guy at 125? Is Was Cejudo just an anomaly and we can't repeat that where a guy just sells the fight and people love to see him lose or love to see him win? You're, you're just done yeah. with it. I think so. All right. I mean, I, you know, I, Cejudo is, is a special athlete. He's a gold medalist in the Olympics. You know what I mean? Right. Like, He's a special athlete, he, and he he's, he knows how to sell a fight. Now, Benavidez is a great fighter. Like he's one of the best fighters in the whole UFC. Uh, but you know, it's he's always been very humble. He lets his his fists here. I mean, he lets his fists do the talking. And um, unfortunately, in this day and age of the UFC, you you got to have a personality, man. One hundred percent. Well, I think you just nailed it. Then, if we're not going to get another Cejudo, then he needs to get more credit for what he's done. And I'm talking about Triple C. Uh, fights this weekend: Romero, Adesanya, UFC 248. What are your first impressions? What are your picks? Or I don't. We don't do picks, but what are your thoughts about the fight? Well, listen, I I think Uel is is uh, another person who's just a beast. Yes. In there. <laughs> he is. He is. He is a beast, and you know, you just never know which Uel you're going to get. That's the problem. But if if the beast shows up, is he's going to have a problem, man? Adesanya's going to have an issue with that. I know Adesanya's a big guy. He's, he's huge. And Josh Thompson said the same thing. He said, I've seen a guy. He's, he's huge. He's got huge hips. He's a big dude. But, you know, it's like uh, – it's a tough fight for him. It's, it's – UL, like I said, it, it, whoever – whichever UL shows up could pose a problem or he could, he could just be terrible. You just never know with UL. Everybody's going back and forth. I've heard three different podcasts uh, with their takes. Everybody wants UL to wrestle more and use his wrestling. Do you think we see it on Saturday? No, absolutely not. Wow. Nope. And it's it's going to be him leaping in for that heavy left yep. or heavy right hook. Yep. And uh, Adesanya could pick him apart. Do you think he finishes him, Adesanya? Does he finish Yoel? Yeah. Or is it five rounds out pointing? Uh, I don't think Yoel can go five rounds anymore. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think if he's losing a fight, he'll find a way out in the third round. Oh, Mike Straka, I hate you. <laughs> Dude, let's throw to the guest. We got, uh, we got a big guest list coming up, man. Oh, yeah, we've got Josh Thompson. We've got the, the UFC uh, Hall of Famer, Pat Militich on. And, of course, Ike Valley Flag, one of, our, one of my favorite fighters. Uh, retired now, but he's, uh, he's in fighting for the Bare Knuckle Fight League, which is uh, you know, an, an interesting step for somebody like Ike. And I think uh, he, he's got a lot to say about his personal demons, and he, you know, he, he's going to open up a little bit for us. And I think that's a, a great place for him to be. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. All right, here we go. This is the Believe in MMA Mavericks podcast. 
Hey, Ike, we got a, we got not only the uh, most handsome fighter to ever live on the on the roster, but he's uh, he's now doing an analysis work for Bellator. It's Josh Thompson. What's up, Josh? Hey, what's up, guys? How you guys doing, man? Fantastic, man. And I remember, I think I told you this over Twitter, but you did my fighting work show a couple of years ago, and I said, "What are you doing fighting? You're too good looking to fight. You should be a, you should be a commentator. You should be a broadcaster." And sure enough, that's what you're doing now. How do you like doing it? I absolutely love it, man. It made my decision when I made my when I made the decision to retire. It made it a lot easier because I truly enjoy um, seeing like. I guess for me, seeing the guys in Bellator having to go through all the shit I went through with strike force and fighting in pride and fighting in dream, uh, just never being considered like, oh, you're not one of the best guys. I mean, I was always in the top 10 rankings, but it was like you never got the love you should have got, you know what I mean, because you weren't in the UFC. And so it's nice to see these guys fighting their asses off and going through all the shit that I went through, and, they, and it doesn't, doesn't phase them at all. Like, it didn't phase me and, like, myself and Gilbert. It didn't bother us at all that, you know, we weren't with the UFC. We just cared about being the best no matter where we were at. And and I love seeing these guys <clears throat> get out there. You have Emmanuel Sanchez. You've got Patricio Pitbull, Daniel Weichel, you know, Pedro Cavallo. You've got top guys, featherweight division. I mean, not just the featherweights, but all across the board, Douglas Lima, you know. And I like seeing these guys not giving a shit about anything else but being the best at what they do in their craft. And that I can appreciate those kind of fighters. Not that the UFC doesn't have them. They do. I'm not trying to knock them. I'm just simply saying I come from the similar kind of background these Bellator guys are going through right now, and I truly enjoy watching these guys fight, man. I remember you saying something back then that, you know, right before Bodog had, had fights, wasn't there something called NHD fighters? Uh, what was it called? NHD uh, I don't know what in HD it was HD. Remember HD Net had a thing, and then they had their own show that they were kind of like uh, I don't know what they were doing. They, they yeah. just covered all the MMA shows. Yeah, I remember HD Net because that was Kenny Rice, John Crook, you know, Boss Rutten. That was that group of guys that had like their own show that was on Access TV and HD Net. Yeah, yeah. Was there was somebody? There was some fight? Some fight promotion like before Bodog that you know you. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you used to fight there, and, and I remember you saying something, you know, I'm, I'm so old that I used to be an NHD fighter or something like that. I forgot what the name of the promotion was, but they used to oh, call there, it. There, there was a promotion up in, uh, up in Oregon that I fought, and I won, like, their world title, their American title, all this other stuff. This was, like, way back in 98. It was called the WPKO. It was in Oregon. It was done by, I think this guy named Steve Boyd. And uh, Chael Sonnen knows him pretty well. I mean, still, I mean, Chael was fighting on the undercard, so was Nate Quarry, and so was Trevor Prangley when I was main eventing those cards. And it just so happened that the rest, or not the rest, but the judges were Randy Couture, Dan Henderson, I want to say it was uh, Evan Tanner, Matt Lindlin. They were like the yeah, judges all, for my fight. Yeah, all the Team you Quest know, guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, all the Team Quest guys were like the, you know, but then you had, you know, Chael was on the card, Nate Quarry was on the card, uh, you know, all these guys that were later on in the UFC. But uh, at the time, they were all in the pre. They were all the undercard of, of my main event of me main eventing those those shows in Oregon. We should probably have more fighters like that judging fights. I think fighters won't get into gripes with the judging if we had uh, former UFC champions on the judging panel. <laughs> well, here's the thing: is I look after doing my because I do my show, my podcast called Weighing In with Big John McCarthy. Fantastic podcast, his, by the way. 
here, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, hearing his take on, look, he runs a program for refs. He runs a program to help, you know, help educate these judges. And he said, like, he's had countless, countless hundreds, hundreds, almost thousands of fighters come through, and they they never they never pass. The reason why they never pass is because they look at it from a fighter's point of view. And I've caught myself a couple times judging a fight sitting cage side, calling it, judging it for somebody that when I look at back at it, like I was that kind of guy that I was a pressure fighter. I would wait for you to kind of like put the pressure on me for the first round. But the second and third round, I went after you. I try to like break you in your conditioning because I knew my conditioning was the, was one of the best. So I would try to get after you and get after you and try and that doesn't mean anything. If you go back and you watch the Jose Aldo and Marais fight, and that fight right there lets you know like the, the Dominic Reyes and the John Jones fight, that lets you know that just because you're walking forward and because the guy's circling on the outside doesn't mean that you're winning the fight. You actually have to land punches. you got to remember what the number one criteria is. Is The number one criteria is damage. Who is doing the most damage that potentially could end the fight? These are things that fighters, in my mind, I thought since I was walking forward, putting pressure, making him, making him look tired, making him look bad, making him look like he was running, that was winning me the fight. And it's not the case. You know, you're really just, if you're walking forward, that doesn't really mean, doesn't mean anything to the judges unless you're landing stuff. So you, there is a lot of educational things that I think fighters need to learn. And guys like from Big John, I've learned a lot just by working with him in the, in the commentary booth and just talking with him and just we pick each other's brain nonstop because I have a perspective from a fighter's point of view that Refs and judges, they, they are not concerned with. They're not concerned with what my perspective is, okay? It's not how I judge the fight. It's how they judge the fight, and they, they judge it in entirety, and they judge it also in uh, the amount of damage you do. Like the Jose Aldo and Marais fight is a classic example of Jose Aldo was walking in down in the third round, trying to land the big shot, and he just wasn't throwing because it was always, you know, Marais was always jabbing him, snapping his head back, and running. So yep. it looked bad, but Marais was landing the, the most shots. Not just landing the most shots, but the ones that were doing damage. Jose Aldo didn't throw anything. Sure, he was putting pressure. Sure, he was making him look bad. But at the end of the day, it's who does the damage. And fighters forget about that. I had Dominic Reyes winning rounds one, two, three. And I even almost had, I, I could see how I, I thought round three was closer than round four. I had him winning round four. I had it 4-1, Dominic Reyes. You know, and I'm not saying that I'm not look, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying the rounds were so close I could see it going either way. And by all means it was not a robbery. But I had it I had it three two at the minimum and I had it four one at the best. You know what I mean? For Dominic Reyes. I one hundred percent agree. I, I just, I, and somebody with your credibility saying this, it just it drills home the point. People were going nuts after UFC two forty five with Aldo and Moraes and it doesn't help when the owner or part owner of the company, Dana White, the president, saying in the post fight press conference that he had Aldo winning that. Like you said, man, the third round, I don't think Aldo landed a strike till halfway through. I think he was yeah. conserving himself, but I really appreciate your opinion on that. Again, we're being joined by the great Josh Thompson, Bellator coverage and the Weighing In podcast with Big John McCarthy. If you ever want to hear a guy stir a pot and a guy curse, that is John and Josh's chemistry. It's fantastic. But Josh, sticking with the uh, the, the judging and potentially the live scoring, Invicta FC, they're incorporating this weekend, I believe Max Holloway's in attendance. Megan Anderson's going to be on the broadcast booth. 
They're going to do open scoring for the three-round fights. Uh, what's your thoughts about that, a fighter uh, knowing that he's up or down going into the later rounds? Well, let's, let's talk about that. That's a great idea because I was actually in favor of it until I actually had a chance to sit down and talk with the judges. Okay, And as a promotion, you don't want that. And the reason why you don't want that is because let's just say you're up. Let's go back to Oscar De La Hoya and Felix Trinidad. Oscar De La Hoya thought he was up, knew he was up in the judges' cards. But then he ran for the last four rounds because he thought he was up, what, I don't know, eight rounds to, to like two or something like that. So he thought he would run thinking he was dominating the fight, and he lost the fight. Had it been open judging, though, he would have ran probably earlier or he would have fought harder knowing that he was a closer fight than he had thought. So there are, there are two ways to this. There's one way of saying, shit, it's 2-2. Both of us got to win the fifth. We're going to go out there. But in reality, guys, when, they get, when they're up by three rounds in a five-round fight, they're just going to stick and move in the second and the fourth and the fifth round, and you're going to get boring title fights. They're, they're not going to try to engage in fighting. That other person's going to have to take a lot of chances to catch up. That eventually affects the game. And that, you don't want to do that. That's why in – and this is things that I've talked about extensively, well, not just with Big John, but with uh, Mike Beltran, with Andy Foster from California State Athletic Commission. Why don't we do these things? And after talking with these guys, it, they make a lot of sense. You know, Andy Foster is probably one of the smartest guys I've ever met in California State Athletic Commission. Now, I can't say much for the, the seven people that sit on the board. They're a bunch of fucking idiots. <laughs> but Andy, Andy Foster himself is, is fucking very intelligent, very smart. He looks at things from a bunch of different angles. And I can truly appreciate, after all the years of working with him, years and years of working with him, he's someone that gives it to you straight. And he's also someone that just tells you, like, look, most likely this is what is going to happen. You like that as a promotion, you don't want that, right? You're five rounds. You have a five-round title fight, and then the guy's running for the last two rounds, and it looks shitty. It just looks – that's why we don't have open scoring for, for boxing. That's why we don't have open scoring for MMA. That's why you don't have open scoring in these type of things. And I was all for it. I'm just letting you guys know. I feel the same way you guys probably felt when you first heard it. Yeah, why don't we? We're the only, we're the only sport that doesn't do it. This is why. That would be why. Like, you end up where guys – Sure, in an ideal world, it would end up being 2-2 going into the fifth. Fuck yeah, both guys are just going to throw down. But it, but normally, the fight is not normally like that. It's not normally a really close fight going into the going into the uh, fifth round. Normally, one guy's already won three rounds going into the fifth, and that's it. So you have one guy that's going to try really hard. You have one guy that's going to stick the move and try to avoid the scenario and the situation. Right, you know. You, you know, and it's it, especially if you – You talk about, you know uh, – Aldo walking down Marais, and I, I feel like sometimes when I hear fighters say, I thought we did enough to win. I, I really hate when I hear fighters say that because doing enough to win, it, it's just, it just doesn't sound like, uh, you know, you're trying to get the finish. And I, I get frustrated when I hear things like that, especially when it's, a, when it's as a fan watching a boring fight because one guy's just walking the other guy down and the other guy's just avoiding damage. And I, I, think, um, I think there should be I don't know if referees can stop that or give warnings for, for, for like, you know, stalling. Uh, but, you know, I just think we need, we need to get some, something like that. Yeah. I mean, well, we could go, we could go to the, the pride way and give yellow cards and red cards. We could do that. The problem is this, you know, the UFC, not just the UFC, I'm saying like fighters don't make, they make good money, but they don't make a ton of money. And now you're going to tax them 10% of their purse or 5% of their purse. You know, it, it really is. I feel I've always felt this way that, that athletes 
there should be something for them during the time that they are being an athlete, a different tax bracket, a different way of doing their taxes because you have an agent, you have a manager, you have a trainer, you have a publicist, all those people you have to pay if you want to get your name out there and be have the potential to make money beyond the sport that you're already in. You know, and this sport is so – when you talk about got the NFL, Major League Baseball, we're so behind the curve when it comes to – the, the fighter not being able to like leave and go to another promotion or like not being able to cross promote with another, you know, another person he wants to fight. Those are things that like we're just behind the curve. Like it, when the UFC or Bellator, like all these companies they have, they've got the contracts locked down on these guys. They can't go anywhere. I'd like to see cross promotion. If we see cross promotion, I think we're going to see a lot more money involved and better for the fighters as well as the promotion. You know, like, look, when agree hundred percent with that. When the UFC was 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 uh, scraping by, you remember how much they were groveling to pride about, hey, come on, let's get across the motion. Let's have Chuck Liddell and and Vanderlei Silva. Let's have, you know, our guy versus your guy. They were they were begging, they were knocking on the door at Pride, begging for them to to put their guys in there. Come on, because they knew Pride was actually the more fan favorite show the one that people tuned in the most every weekend to watch. We don't really like people sat around and watched the UFC, of course, but if I had to choose like back in the day when people had to sit and choose watch pride or watch UFC, everyone went to pride. Didn't make a difference. Everyone's like, fuck, you want to see um, fucking Don Fry and, you know, and uh, Batenchin and, and all these guys just fucking knocking dudes out. Ninja who you know, Shogun, Vanderlei, Mirko, like, everybody wanted to see those guys. No one, like, there was only like one or two guys in the UFC that people cared about. Chuck. There was Chuck Liddell. That's all people cared about back then. They didn't, there was, you know, there was a little yeah, bit Chuck, of... Yeah, Chuck and Randy. Yeah, and Randy, sorry. Chuck and Randy, that, yeah. yeah. Chuck and Randy, and then you, and like, as much as I love Matt Hughes, you know, like, people, they didn't, not a lot of people tuned in at the time to watch him. He did, I thought he was phenomenal as a fighter, you know, and one of the best, obviously one of the best in the world. But, like, when you're looking at the guys the promotion was built around, you know, it was Matt Hughes, it was Randy Couture, it was Chuck Liddell, and that was it. You know, Tito was in there for a while, but towards right when they blew up, he kind of got left behind. Josh, we, so I think – go ahead. Yeah, 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 finish your point, finish your point. I just – I think for the – for us to get out of this um, – this uh, barbaric old-school, like – you know, type of promotion setting that we're in right now, we need to start figuring out a way to cross remote. I mean, I've thrown it out there. I did the Joe Rogan's podcast. I did Joe Rogan's podcast, and I talked about let's have an Olympics, you know, once a year or maybe once every two years where our champion fights your champion, or we have not even title fights. So no champions lose. So your promotion never looks bad. But you have, you know, your, your number three versus your number four, your number five versus your number eight, whatever it is. So then no promotions really lose their champions, not really losing. Or you, and then you take a poll of it between promotions and you figure out what fight the fans want to see the most, you know, and then maybe this, those two champions fight and that's it, you know, and then it just go. I think that's a great idea. I think it's a great way of, of marketing. It. Think about this. The Olympics is probably the most viewed thing I think in the world, uh, you know, when it comes time and I'm sure it's every four years. But if, if you build to that, that, that type of mentality, if you build to that, man, I'm telling you, I think, I think 
pay-per-view numbers. I think money made for fighters and athletes will just be beyond for, for fighting. I just think, you know, Joe, was, Joe Rogan was telling me that he disagrees because you need stars. Yeah, but if you take stars from each promotion, you have a star in each promotion, you have them fight. I think that that format will show that everyone loves to watch the two best people go at it, whether it's skiing, whether it's tennis, whether it's golf. <laughs> you need stars. You know what I mean? I'm not kidding you. Tiger Woods and uh, Bubba Watson or Phil Mickles, like when those guys are playing, they don't give a shit if, if they're like if they're 10 or 11 down, you know, or whatever. They're, they're not even in the lead. People are following them around the course more so than they're following the other guys that are potentially winning the tournament. You know, and so 100%, Joe, man. Joe is right that you need stars, but I think if you put each star for each promotion for one title fight, and then all then you trickle down to the to the bottom fights of other guys that are good stylistically make for a great fight. I think you have a good opportunity to fucking make a killing from on from all promotion standpoints. I 100% agree with this, man. You sh- you need to add to your Twitter, your online profiles, Josh Thompson, the visionary, man. I mean, it, it's hard with the executives or the corporate world to, to see that far ahead. I keep pushing that MMA is going to be bigger than soccer as long as nobody gets uh, dies on a weight cut in back-to-back weeks or nobody dies in the cage on back-to-back weeks. I think it could be bigger than soccer worldwide, man. Look at the Australia, the Russia, African market, the Canadian, the South American market. It could be bigger than soccer. I'm with that, man. As far as uh, champ versus champs or the star versus star, uh, I love the idea what you and Rogan were throwing back and forth with uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson or MVP. That's cool, man. That, that, can, oh, yeah. that can fill an undercard. But what I think is going to happen in terms of champion versus champion and belts being exchanged, I could see the one championship, 125-pound champion, maybe Demetrius Johnson, getting that revenge against a UFC 125 champion. I, I feel like the UFC wouldn't care to throw around that belt or UFC women's featherweight belt. I, in terms of the big weight classes, the 155, the 170, the 185, I think the UFC, they see it as it's too much risk for not enough reward for them. Reward for them. Do you, you feel that? Yeah, that, that, you could say that's properly right, but I'm like, for me, there's fights that I would love to see. I'd love to see Gegar Mustafi and Israel Adesanya. Like, Gegar's got one. He's one of those guys. He's fought at heavyweight. He fought at 205. He's been the champion at 205. I want to say he was the pride champ at heavyweight when he did the tournament. Maybe I'm wrong. So long ago, I can't remember that. But I do know that he fought in that heavyweight division. Then he went to, and he, he became the strike force 205-pound champion. Then the 180, then I want to say he was the 180, he was the 185-pound champion. Not in strike force. He was 85-pound champion in Bellator. He's, he's like he's probably the most well-rounded 185-pound guy I think that's in the in the game right now. To think that Izzy and him stand-up-wise, I'd give the edge obviously to Izzy. But Gegard's no slouch on the feet. You know he's he he's got that Holland-style kickboxing that I think would give Izzy fits. Not to mention I think that he's a way better grappler. If you talk to um, Lovato Lovato Jr., he didn't realize until he fought him how good Gegard's ground game was. You know, he's like, dude, he's fucking legit, legit. So when you take him mixed with Izzy, that makes for a fucking great fight. Izzy being as big and as strong as he is, and he showed it in his last fight. Man, I was just watching the uh, 24-7 on Izzy and Romero. And, you know, I I was leaning a lot towards Romero until I saw him up close and personal. I've never met him in person, but I saw him on the video. Like, dude, you're enormous. He's enormous. He's got big hips. He's got, you know, looks like he's got extremely strong legs. 
I mean, you can tell that he's going to pose some problems for Yoel Romero. Not even like pose problems. There's a good chance he can get Yoel out of there if he uses the, his his style the way he's been using it against everybody. You know, um, I, I'd love to see the Gegard and, and Izzy fight. You know, that's a great fight to see. I mean, I mean, you all we hear is how great John Jones is. Well, let's see, let's see, let's see him fight. You know, another 185 or 100. I mean, a 205 pound guy or a heavyweight guy. You know, I mean, uh, I think he's trying to get some money back after all the years off from suspension, but I think he's just trying to, like, line his pockets right now again, trying to fight as many times as he can, which is good. I like to see that from someone like that. Well, you know, yeah, you know what's funny? You you mentioned the NFL before, and when John Jones was light heavyweight champion, his little brother Chandler got signed to the New England Patriots, and he got something like an $11 million signing bonus. You know, if you're you're the UFC light heavyweight champion, you see your little brother getting an $11 million signing bonus, that's got to hurt. I think guys like John and, and Connor obviously are getting are getting what they're worth these days. But it's, you know, Anderson Silva was like the first guy to get. I remember Leoto Machida saying, if I fight, I want Anderson Silva money because Anderson was making a lot of money more than anybody else. Uh, now it's, I think it's, there's a little more parity. Uh, you would know better than I, Josh, but I, I do think there's a little more parity in what fighters are, like you said earlier, they don't get paid a lot, but they're not, they're not as bad as they used to be. No, it's not as bad as it used to be. But you look at like they just came out with all the uh, with, with all the financials, basically breaking down that the fighters are only getting sixteen uh, percent of what their profits are. Well, if you look at the if you look at the, what is uh, what's it called Major League Baseball, NFL, and uh, NBA, they're it's almost fifty fifty. It's like forty five fifty five or you know forty eight. You know, it's like it's very close to fifty fifty. This isn't even close, man. Sixteen percent. You know, I mean, here's the here's here's been my complaint, always been my complaint, and I'm and I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna say this because it leads up to this, where I'm going with it. When I fought Clay Guida, Clay, I called it, I called a sponsor, and they said, and I asked them for a certain amount of money that they had been sponsoring me for for probably about two years. They said, hey, Clay just hit us up and said, all I care about is I want you to guys to 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 print my clothes and make my banner. Dude, I was going from making, you know, 7,500, I think is what it was for that one sponsor, to being undercut by another fighter, just saying, just just print my clothes and print my, my corners clothes and make my banner. That's all I want from you. That right there, fighters. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of managers get, were, were criticized. Well, here's yep. the thing. Fighters and managers were criticized. Back, I remember Rob Rivetta. Remember. I remember Rob Rivetta having the same conversation with a ma- another manager, at, you know, at a fight one day. He said, "Dude, you you just called one of my sponsors and you totally undercut me, and now they're yeah. calling me saying, why am I paying all this money to Sam Stout yeah. when yeah. when the other guy's getting, you know, you, you want a freaking banner?" And and it's like you guys, the, the managers were doing it too. It wasn't just the fighters. But yeah, I understand it was the managers doing it, but I'm saying that in general, like overall, fighters they 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 need to stop stepping on their own dick. That's the biggest problem that they're doing right now is they're okay with beat. Like I'm okay with towing the company line, man. I, I, I've done it my whole career. Like, you, you know, when I was with the UFC, I didn't want to be there after, after Strikeforce got bought out. I was like, fuck this place. I've been here before. I've already heard all the horror stories. You know I mean? I've been around the promotion, even though I was with Strikeforce and pride in those companies during that time, you know, I was like, I'm really good friends with Chuck Liddell and, and I used to, I used to be around that whole world during that time, and I knew that things had changed once they, once the UFC started blowing up. But fighters, right? 
they're just they're just taking it in the ass. Basically, what's going on is they're taking it right now, and they're not will they're not willing to or they're will they're over willing to call, to 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 let them step on them. So I'll give you another example. Why in the hell are the are the are the are the main events all five rounds now? You're not getting paid anymore to fight a five round fight. Your career doesn't last any longer. Training for five rounds, fighting five rounds. You're not getting paid championship money. Sure, you're getting a little twenty-five thousand dollar maybe bonus in the back or fifty thousand dollar bonus in the back. That's fucking that's that's peanuts compared to what these guys are making off your five rounds in the cage. People keep hitting me up. Is when Bellator gonna do it? And I'm like, probably never. I can't. I, probably never, unless it's for the title. Why would you have these guys fight five rounds? If it wasn't for the title, now, they're doing it. They're doing it in the tournament, but that's because it's always like you don't, you don't, you don't want to give an unfair advantage to the person who is fought for the champion, who's who's fighting five rounds every way in every every step of the tournament. So they all have to fight five rounds to make sure that it's all equally the same. That's that's the only reason why behind they're doing this. So realistically, you're 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 basically cutting these fighters' careers. I would say probably by at least a quarter, maybe even half, because they're having to train very good. Once they get to the level of being good, now they're marketable to make them in a, put them in a five round in a five round fight at the main event. They're gonna fight harder. They're gonna do all these things, and now all of a sudden it's become this this normal thing for these guys to be fighting a five round fight for the main event and not getting paid any more money. Sure, you made an extra twenty five grand. Whoopee. Like, you look at the profits and what they're making, no one gives a shit. Yeah. Like, fighters... Josh, I don't know if you're a part of a fighters union, but, man, your passion needs to be heard, man, because you're spot on. You've been in the mix. Uh, I know somebody who could fight five rounds probably tomorrow. That's Pat Militich. He's also on the line, Josh, if you want to say hi to us. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Pat? How you doing, buddy? Good. How you guys doing, man? Good. Good. So that the, fight, the fighters have learned to settle for the crumbs, and then realistically they're having to fight the five-round fight just for that. And it, it, it doesn't make any sense. they got to stop doing that and start sticking, you know, stand on their ground and say, hey, if I'm going to fight a five-round fight, I want I want basically – I want what my, my, my show and win money would be, then give me the bonus. You know, they've got to start standing their ground. They're just not doing it. You know, they're, they're just in love with the fact that they're living, they're living in the UFC or they're living they're, – they're, they're with the promotion. I like being a company person, but – you guys got to stand your ground on something. You know, I remember when Eddie Alvarez was uh, fighting in Dream and Pride and and, and uh, all those other promotions. He was not in the UFC. And like you said, everybody kept saying to him, how come you're not in the UFC? And Eddie goes, I don't want to be in the UFC. I get paid more money in Japan than I would make in the UFC. Why would I do that to myself? All right. Well, Josh, thanks so much for, uh, for, for your time. All right, guys. Hey, man. Take it easy. Pat, hey, nice to talk to you again, Pat. Yep, thanks, Josh. Always. All right, guys. Take it easy, man. Pleasure. All right, man. Uh, Josh, thank you, brother. Anytime, man. Later, bud. All right. Thanks, Josh. I don't think he took a breath for about 20 minutes. No. he. But, you know, <laughs> I, I always said he'd be a great broadcaster. Pat Militich joining us uh, here. It's Mike Strzok and Ike Feldman on the MMA Maverick Show. Uh, Pat, thanks for calling in, man. How you been? Uh, I'm doing good. Thank you for uh, having me, guys. Well, we had uh, one of your former students on the show last week, Tammy Pescatelli. And and she's a she's a funny girl, man. She's a she's a great comedian. But she told us she used to train with you out in Bettendorf, and I said that's amazing. You know, and she's a tough cookie as well. 
Yeah, man, and she's done really well for herself. You know, I uh, I was really happy to see her uh, get on the last comic standing and do really well. And uh, she's she's always been very nice to me. Um, <clears throat> you know, even when she didn't she didn't have to be nice to me. So you know, she's she's a great person. Yeah. So how's life out there in Bettendorf with with the uh, you know the Militich fighting system still going strong, obviously. Um, you know, I, I mean, I quit coaching years ago, guys. I, I closed my gym, sold my, sold my properties and, and, uh, retired from coaching a long time ago. I mean, I still train law enforcement and some military folks and, um, do the broadcasting obviously, and, and do a lot of other, uh, business ventures. But I, I had reached my, I had reached my, um, goals technically, I guess, as, as a coach, as an athlete. And, um, so for me, it was time to, it was time to walk away uh, just because I had so much going on. I, I was working for Access TV. I was working for ESPN and Showtime Sports all at the same time. I had uh, my, my gym, had uh, training law enforcement and military also, uh, training fighters, and I just was never going to see my daughters. So, um, you know, I, I decided that, that the one thing that I had reached my goals in needed to get pushed off the plate. So that was, that was what, what had to go. Again, we're being joined by Pat Militich. He, he has a hand in almost every broadcast, man. I see you in Atlantic City. I see you doing the LFA. Uh, obviously, uh, jumping on with the Rogan thing, that you were a little before the generation I came in. I was the early Anderson Silva in the UFC days. But looking back at your fights and your style and hearing your story on the Rogan podcast, man, you were a grinder. Uh, in your opinion, what's the difference of uh, training from the – the old school to the uh, the new school training methods. Well, I mean, you know, you've got number one, you've got you know, for for a lot of these athletes and camps and stuff, they've got you know, a striking coach, they've got a grappling coach, they've got a wrestling coach, they've got a nutritionist, they've got a strength and conditioning coach. You know, we just basically had to, uh, and and growing up wrestling, look, you know how to eat right, you know how to cut weight, so uh, there's a lot of that, you know, and and I still didn't obviously know everything that I needed to know. Uh, but we knew enough to be in great shape. We knew how to get in great shape. And that came down to, you know, just outworking our opponents and making sure that, uh, and, and I think that, you know, a lot of people uh, blow things out of proportion in terms of how we used to train too, too hard back in the day or um, too much contact, this and that. And but my guys were technically only sparring hard once a week. Um, you know, the other days it was a, a lot of wrestling, a lot of grappling, a lot of a lot of technique, a lot of pad work, a lot of you know endurance, strength and conditioning stuff, things like that. So I mean, um, but I would say you know, that there point, is you know there's more there, there's more money. Go ahead. Well, go ahead. You finish your thought. Sorry. Go ahead, Pat. I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, I think you know it just it just comes down to that's all right. There was just uh, I think there was just less money to throw around at a bunch of coaches back back when I was training. Well, you know, going back to your point earlier, I think nutritionists is one of the biggest, the biggest advantages that the guys have now. Because I was, you know, I'm, I'm a little younger than you, but when I wrestled, I didn't know how to cut weight. I just starved myself. You know, now you've got nutritionists and helping these guys cut weight and do it the right way. And I think that's very important for an athlete and certainly for the longevity of his career. Sure, sure. But I mean, at the same time, I mean, um, common sense can guide you a long ways in terms of cutting weight. I mean, you know, okay. <laughs> I'd wake up for breakfast. I'd have a cup of oatmeal and a couple hard-boiled eggs and some spinach. You know, that's that, a nutritionist is going to tell you that's probably not a bad breakfast. Uh, you know, uh, I would boil three chickens at a time, strip all the meat off of them, put it in Tupperware. I'd steam tons of broccoli, tons of 
uh, other vegetables, cook a bunch of uh, hard-boiled eggs. But, you know, and I, I lived very clean, you know, in camps and things like that. So it's it, it's not that hard to get through life with common sense, even though you you might not have a degree in something. So it's it, you know, and and one thing that I would tell fighters is listen to your body. If you're low on energy, you need more carbs, you know, for your training. You, you know, just just pay attention to your body. You know, things breaking down uh, in in different areas tells you many times what what your body's craving, and you will crave as long as it's not ice cream and 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 chocolate bars and a bunch of other you know stuff like that. Your body, your body is going to crave the stuff that you need, something that's rich in iron, something that, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's going to tell you, um, man, I'm hungry for that. I think you nailed it, man. It's that simple. Common sense. You'd be surprised at how much common sense goes by the wayside. Again, we're being joined by. Um, oh, trust me. I'm, I'm aware by all the left lane drivers <laughs> these days. <laughs> Great point. What, what are your thoughts when you hear the, the weight cutting horror stories of the Anthony Rumble Johnson or Kevin Lee posting on Twitter, hey, 17 pounds to go under 24 hours to my weigh-in. Like, what are your thoughts when you see that, man? Like, even with all the knowledge that the internet could provide and nutritionists could buy, people are still, they, they want to maybe, I don't know, test themselves or they say it's the fight before the fight to make the weight. What are your thoughts about those horror stories? That's your responsibility, man. Um, I mean, there's kids in high school and junior high that are cutting weight for wrestling matches two, three times a week for months at a time and they don't miss weight. You know, I mean, I started cutting weight in sixth grade for wrestling uh, until my last fight of uh, when I was 42 years old. I never once missed weight. There's no excuse to miss weight when you sign your name on a dotted line. Um, you know, you put your John Doe on a, on a contract, man. You got you got to do what you told, you know, what you promised to do. And, it's it's uh, I think it's systemic in, within society in general of a lack of accountability, lack of of holding holding people accountable for for you know I don't know whether I can cuss on here, but um, of screwing up you know and and we see it we see it systemically across the line in society in general right now, and I think that it's unfortunately bled into one of the greatest sports, if not the greatest sport in the world. Well, we have participation trophies, you know what I mean? I, I, I think that's a problem in and of itself as well. And I think, like you said, kids aren't taking accountability. They're not, they're not winning and lo or losing. They're just participating now. And there's no sense of pride anymore. Well, yeah. And I mean, look, um, there were no million-dollar paydays when I was fighting. And, and that, that is something that, you know, will tell you that, that the men and women that were doing the sport back then, we're doing it because they truly loved it and we're passionate about it. I think there's a lot of people involved in the sport that see a payday, that see fame and fortune, that see whatever, um, and they're not passionate about it. And it shows in a lot of ways. I mean, now that does not, I'm not going to be a detract from a lot of incredible athletes who work their asses off, make weight and do what they're supposed to do and are, and are uh, um, find, find examples for, for the younger generation. You know, they, they, uh, they really are the great people. I've met, I've met thousands of them. Um, over all the years of of competing, coaching, and and also in commentary, so um, that that's I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna. But there are there are quite a few people, unfortunately, involved in the sport that are just they they just don't they don't hold themselves accountable, and and you know that's that's a problem. I'm not gonna blame I'm not gonna blame someone else if I don't make weight because ultimately it was it was it was my fault. It was my fault because I didn't do the work. I didn't. Uh, I didn't work the weight off. I didn't eat correctly. Whatever it was that went wrong, ultimately it was my fault. And 
yeah, we do need a lot more accountability in the society. Uh, Pat, we got another man on the line. Sorry to keep uh, keep the train going. But uh, again, we could find you for the Conspiracy Farm podcast, doing LFA broadcasts and uh, many broadcast outlets on the UFC Fight Pass. Uh, thank you for the time. And dude, you are a legend for this sport and a pioneer. And yep. uh, your intuition yep. and visionariness has been uh, amazing to be to, to see and help grow the sport. So really appreciate it, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, people can find us at uh, uh, Conspiracy Farm, theconspiracyfarm.com. And, and yeah, we'll be on uh, UFC Fight Pass Friday night from Dallas, Texas, brother. Excellent. Yeah. UFC Hall of Famer, Pat Militich. Thanks very much, Pat. Later, brother. Take care, guys. This is the Believe in MMA Mavericks podcast. Welcome back to MMA Mavericks. Mike Strzok along with Ike Sullivan and Ike Valley Flag on the line. Uh, Ike, uh, great to hear from you. Uh, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. good. Oh, you're talking to the oh. other Ike? <laughs> yeah, I'm talking to the other Ike. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Whichever Ike. Both Ikes sound like they're doing good, right? <laughs> yes. Well, you, you've been pretty open about, you know, some of the things that you've gone through, Ike. Um, are, you feel like you're in a good place now? Yeah, I definitely am, you know. Um, you know, every time somebody asks me that, people, uh, they always, I always say I'm in a really good place, and then people bring up the struggle of addiction, and, and you know, uh, once you're on the other side of it, it becomes less of a struggle and more of a daily practice and life gets pretty good. You know, uh, you know, you can make things a struggle if you want to, but you know, as long as you're practicing some stuff, like things get pretty easy in your life and pretty good real fast, you know, especially coming from, uh, from not being able to get away from drugs and alcohol, you know? Now, obviously, not every uh, depressing or negative uh, cloud in somebody's life is necessarily drugs or alcohol. A lot of people are dealing with mental illness, and we're hearing athletes like Tyson Fury or Max Holloway talk about it more frequently and more openly. Uh, in your opinions, what, what's the best practice uh, maybe for you individually or maybe collectively that you would say that once the storm is behind you, to not let the storm come back overhead? Uh, there's a lot of stuff that, I mean, that plays into it for me and depending on, you know, what, whatever's, whatever's going on with somebody, there's a lot of different avenues, whether it's therapy or, you know, some people just work well with meditation or, or faith or what, whatever it is, you know, uh, I have my own faith and do a little bit of meditation and some therapy, you know? Uh, so it's, it, it, I, I try to hit everything pretty hard because I was pretty messed up and have, when it comes to, to things that, you know, like the, like the drugs and alcohol, I, there was that, and then there's all kinds of stuff getting hit in the head. So I kind of have to be really, I have to be vigilant to everything, you know? I think, I think I, you know, one of the things, you know, for me, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I think I, I drink too much sometimes, you know, and, and I, I like the camaraderie of being in a bar with the guys and, you know, but before you know it, you're, you're wasted, you know, so there, there's that problem too, you know, and it, it affects, it affects everything you do in life. Yeah, you know, I think a big thing there, and there's they're showing more and more that being kind of uh, being social or, or having a fellowship of people around you is one of the things that that is uh, is does really good things for your brain for addiction or depression or whatever. You know, it's the whole uh, not isolating yourself. Uh, you know, which is what you're looking for when you're in a bar or, or whatever or whatever you're you're trying to fill a void you know so whenever you're doing that with something healthy that's a good thing and sometimes the people around you i mean you know as long as you're surrounding yourself with healthy people is important too absolutely um 
Are you still, are you still training with Jackson Wink? No, I haven't been down there. In a, I go over to the Jacksons on Acoma here and there and train with them, but I haven't been down to the big gym in a while. Uh, I, I've been more focused on boxing, uh, so that's what I've been doing. Is, is I got a, I have a boxing coach, and I've been boxing, you know? Now, are you boxing uh, to be a prize fighter, or are you just keeping in shape? He's boxing to knock uh, out former UFC fighters like Melvin Gouillard. <laughs> Dude, that was an amazing <laughs> win for you, man. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I'm doing it just to compete a little bit. You know, I kind of – I really did a lot. I didn't give myself the opportunity that I really wanted to because of what I was doing with the drugs and alcohol, you know. And uh, and so when I got sober, I wanted to see what I could do, and, and uh, this bare knuckle thing came up. And uh, so I'm trying that out a little bit. Dude, and it's worked out. Uh, one of the cra- – 3-0 and doing the bare knuckle boxing. One of the craziest things I've noticed throughout your career uh, – correct me if I'm wrong – have you never been flatlined? Were you never knocked out in your career? Uh, knock on wood, I've never been dropped in a fight. I'm knocking so, free right now, brother. Yeah, you know, but <laughs> I, I, I always say that with the caveat of man hit, getting hit with a bare fist is, is something else, especially with a guy who knows how to punch really hard, you know? What, what's your, is there anything you do? Like, do you slow down sparring as you get closer to the fight? Do you not even spar? Like, what, what, what can you do? Because you might have the, the fountain of youth or the, the secret uh, Merlin gem in your body or something. What, what secret do you do? I got a hard-ass head. That's it. <laughs> I mean, that's that's, I mean, I proved that it was everything in life. You know, I got a hard head. Uh, and it's, it, it really is like, there's no secret. I quit cutting as much weight towards the end of the fight, um, which I think is good with the bare knuckle stuff. But, uh, you know, I just have a thick skull apparently. And my brain, I have a small brain and a thick skull, so it doesn't touch the size of the skull very easily. <laughs> That's, uh, Mike would tell you that it's the same with me, man. Just uh, all bone, no brain. <laughs> Listen, I was training this morning and I yacked, so <laughs> it was there. And I yacked right, in, right, right into a kitty litter box. It was, I was in a basement. I was hitting mitts with my friend, and I was like, "Oh boy, this is not good." I just, I thank God that kitty litter box was there. Uh, but I, you know, oh I, I remember, I remember hanging out with you. You would see on Fox, and it was at the Staples Center. And I think uh, you were in, you were like sitting down. I, I was, I actually wasn't working, and uh, we were sitting right near Olivia Munn, the actress. And uh, we had a great time that night. That was a yeah. great night. And I just, I was so taken by you because you were so humble and you, you, all these fans coming up to you. And I, I was just like, man, I'd say fucking good guy, man. Thank you. Uh, well, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it's, I don't know, man. It's, it's whatever little bit of pain that we get from this is all due to the fans. And, uh, and it's cool. I mean, I, I think it's cool just to have that experience of being around kind of real famous people, you know, uh, and uh, I, I think it's cool that I get to that people recognize me for getting to do something I love, you know. So uh, any kind of fandom or whatever seems like it's, uh, you know, anybody who lets that go to their head, especially in this sport, seems like they're kind of doing it wrong, you know. Well, I got a funny story for that from that night. Olivia Munn was sitting next to me, and she was on a TV show called The Newsroom on HBO. Plus, she's in a lot of movies. And um, I said, can I get a picture with you? So she said, sure. So I got a picture with her, and suddenly these guys started lining up on the stairs. She goes, you see where you started? And then I go, I'm sorry. And they look at me and like, hey, Mike, can I get a picture with you? I started laughing. She goes, who the hell are you? I said, I only get recognized at fights. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Man, I wish I would have seen or recognized Olivia Munn back then because she's one of my favorites. Yeah, she's great. So. You know, I, I always say, I, you know you work in MMA when you're in Vegas on fight week and a really pretty girl walks up to you and says, excuse me, but can my boyfriend get a picture with you? <laughs> right, yeah. You know, and the, the other thing I was thinking when we were just talking about is the takeaway from that is like the really successful people that I've met in like acting and stuff, like uh, Gene Hackman's a guy who I've met and, and, uh, and one of the nicest, most humble people in the world, you know, and we ended up talking about MMA and it seems like the people who really, who really kind of get the whole fame thing are the ones who don't let it get to them, if that makes sense, you know? You know, I really, wow. I mean, uh, go ahead, Ike. They, which Ike? Tell me yeah. I go? Yeah, that, that Ike. <laughs> I'll be Ike number two for this interview, but uh, I want to stick with that uh, about maybe uh, you see somebody on film like the great Gene Hackman and then in person, he, he's a humble human being. Uh, Ike, you seem like a very modest, down-to-earth guy. Obviously, you're a killer and a warrior when you have to be and you turn it on, but dude, you're, you're very relaxed, laid back uh, from the impression that I'm getting. Looking at society, man... Uh, what, what's your thoughts about the social media, whether it's the kids with the cyberbullying or whether it's people who prompt themselves up or get on their high horse a little too much on social media and then in person they're maybe uh, they're a nice guy, but they have to put on a, an act. You seem like you keep it 100, 100% of the time. Uh, do you see any you know, flaws or does anything really get under your skin with the, the times we're in with social media and society? I know this is kind of a, a broad question, but I, I'd love to hear your take. I, I mean, so there, there's a lot, yeah, the, the cyberbullying, stuff like that's obviously a problem. My, my big thing is the, is how much, you know, the, there's a lot of stuff politically that, that's going on right now in the country that, uh, that I don't think that we'd be saying to each other, around each other, about each other yep. uh, if we weren't hiding behind computers, you know. Uh, I have I have my views and I try to respect other people's views, but you know, watching people just slam each other for 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 their views, uh, whichever whichever politician they're going for, really is a uh, is kind of a bummer for me, you know. And it, 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 I think it's when you want when you're talking about like really dividing a country, social media is dividing our country politically more than anything, you know. And uh, and people playing knowing that they can use that to 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 bait other people who just want either want to be heard or just are assholes or, or whatever into into really kind of using social media as a platform to to be the loudest person which is which is kind of you know shitty you know dude and at the highest freaking platform of the world the the u.s president candidacy it's like we still see these 70 year olds acting like teenage Fortnite children uh on the air it, it's pretty fucking ridiculous and it bothers me people think i'm crazy i'm like why can't we have a president that played sports that's a humble guy that's a down-to-earth guy uh, it could be an astronaut it could be a scientist it could be a college professor let's have somebody who's i'll i'll tell you i'll tell you why i'll tell you why because nobody smart wants to be president because it's not worth it yeah the amount of scrutiny that that they go through it's like it, it's a determined. It's a deterrent to, to anybody wanting to become president. All those good people you just described, they're too smart to try to be president. Makes sense. And at the end of the day, then we get these fucking puppets. Excuse my language. Yeah, which is, you know, frustrating. And it's, you know, and this is going to be the one thing I'll say about the president that, who is supposed to be the leader of the country and setting a good example. You know, he's out there uh, not just taking his political opponents apart uh, with policy stuff, but like really 
I mean, talking trash about him. I mean, I'm not a big Mike Bloomberg fan, but I mean, calling him mini Mike and essentially like doing stuff that a, a fourth grade bully does to somebody uh, is kind of, as a leader of the free world, I think that you should step up and be a little bit more uh, presidential, I guess I'll say, you know? 100%. And, and it's, you know, that's not, that's not even going towards both for politically because he was doing it on the other side of the aisle. I, I just think that's an inappropriate behavior to have as, as one of the highest leaders of the, in the country, you know, or the Absolutely. highest. Well, going back to your earlier point, going back to uh, circling back to fighters. Yeah. I, I get a kick out of watching a, a movie and then Jay Haran will pop up or as a stunt guy or, uh, you know, um, uh, Andre Orlovsky shows up in, in a equalizer film. I just think I, I, I get tickled when I see those, uh, especially uh, Keith uh, out from Albuquerque as well. You guys are, are you doing a lot of filming out there, Ike? Uh, no, I haven't done anything. I, I kind of, after I burned my life down, I just kind of stay in the, the background, but it is cool, cool to see like, I mean, Cowboys doing movies, Keith, you know, Tate Fletcher, there's a bunch of guys from out here who used to fight who are like, uh, doing really well in the in the movie business out here in New Mexico and, and beyond, you know, and it's it's cool to see that that kind of the hard work that they took from fighting kind of parlay into to something else. You know? Yeah, it was it's it's cool watching Breaking Bad and then Keith Jardine shows up. It's hilarious. Yeah, it is. I love. I I dig it, man. I think it's. I mean, it's a testament to to the work ethic that fighters have because I mean that's another industry that's just super hard to break into and you're seeing these guys working on breaking into it and doing well you know so uh, sticking with the movies man this is the first question you could kind of just roll your eyes at it but what's your favorite fight movie and then what are your thoughts about the Oscar movies is there any movie that really caught your attention uh I honestly what was oh I didn't I didn't even know what Parasite won I didn't know until the freaking night of (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it's I, I so I started watching Parasite, but I've been uh, I and I don't mind foreign movie or foreign language films. I think they're good. Like I like the, all all the old John Woo stuff. I just uh, didn't have patience to watch it, so I didn't check it out. And and honestly, I didn't didn't know what other Oscar movies were were out. You know, hold on, are are you not a subtitle guy? Like, cause my brothers they can't watch Narcos because of the subtitles. They're like, and, and oh no, I love I love like Narcos. You know, and I love subtitled stuff. Uh, my my buddy Michael Pena was in Narcos Mexico this last or the last season, the first season of it, and I love watching that stuff. It's just uh, I just didn't ever get into Parasite, you know. So Michael Michael Pena is one of my favorite actors, man. I when I watched the first movie, it really he really got my attention was uh, End of Watch with Jake Gyllenhaal, yeah. and I was like, and then Crash when he played the locksmith and crash what a freaking actor that guy is so talented man he's got such range and i i i just think i, I hope he gets a freaking a starring role like where you know where he's he break out and become a 20 20 million dollar player man because he is awesome as an actor what a, one of the best actors out in hollywood how do you know him mike uh he we actually started hanging out when he came to town for a movie and we were doing mitts and we kind of we just we hit it off oh shit and uh and and uh I, you know we we still keep in touch and stuff like that. And uh, he's a, uh, me and him and Cub kind of formed a really weird uh, friendship, but it's, uh, you know, he's just a, he's a good dude and we have a lot of the same traits and, and uh, kind of have similar backgrounds. So I think we just hit it off like that, you know, but he's uh yeah, he is a hell of a good actor and a hell of a good character actor and comedic actor. And 
it'd be nice to see him really break out in something. Yeah. How's Cub doing, by the way? How's the baby? Uh, he's got three of them now, and they're all doing pretty good. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good. Wow, he, had, he's, he didn't waste any time, huh? No, he had twins, like, right away after. after oh, that's Michael, right, and, yeah. Uh, and so they were going pretty hard, you know. He's uh, – it, it's cool watching him – I mean, cool watching him kind of settle into the, the daddy role and really, really digging it, you know. We, we talking about Cub Swanson? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How's his knee doing, man? I just saw him at the Quintet event over the uh, couple of months ago, and it, it sucks that he has to uh, he has to deal with the knee. And it sucks because I don't know if that's going to deter some UFC or MMA fighters from doing the grappling. Uh, how's his knee doing? Uh, it's good. I mean, he said that he's been he's really been pushing himself on the physical therapy stuff and wanting to get back into it. I think as soon as possible. Uh, you know, Cubs a Cubs always been kind of my hero as far as I mean, he's a bad dude and come back from a bunch of bad injuries and and uh, and. Uh, and he's he's treating this like he does anything else with a, like a real game plan on how to get better, and he's doing it, you know. Wow, wow. dude, he's a war. He's fought the who's who in the 145 pound division. Uh, the him versus the Gracie fight, I, I think that was a fantastic fight. Uh, did did he any? Because we don't know much about Cron or Crone Gracie. Uh, did he uh, express any feelings about that fight? Like, dude, like that dude has my. Uh, has my respect and he's not just the 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 prince of the castle so to speak with the gracie family that has he spoken about the 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 gracie fight i uh, just that it was really tough you know and and that he i mean you know i think cub kind of beat Kron up on his feet but i mean Kron kept coming forward you know and uh yeah. that's a tough dude to do that because i mean cub hits hard you know i mean he knocks people out when he hits them and he couldn't do that with Kron. so he was saying how Kron or how tough Kron is well, Ike, uh, it's been great talking to you, man. Let's, uh, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I appreciate it. Uh, what, what, what's your next fight going to be? Uh, so it hasn't been announced yet, but we're looking at April 11th, and, and, uh, and it's, uh, I'm looking to sign the contract in the next day or so. But we, it's a really good matchup with another guy, another UFC vet, and, uh, and uh, he likes to throw his hands as well. So it should be – uh, I don't want to make it a barn burner. I want to put them away right away, but it could it could really shape up to be a barn burner, you know. Nice man. So we're talking about like under five weeks. How's the uh, how's the how's the engine feeling right now? Are you getting ready to uh, start to chip away at the stone and make the the granite statue? Oh yeah, it's. Uh, I still got some love handles to take off that granite statue for that. <laughs> I, I been, you know, we we've known that we were gonna fight for pretty or in this lightweight tournament that they have for the title. So uh, I've been staying in shape, and uh, and now with this next few weeks, I'm really gonna push everything a little bit harder. And it's uh, my boxing is getting a lot is is getting crisp and like boxing. So I'm I'm pretty happy with where everything's going with this next five weeks to go. Amazing, amazing. Well, avoid the donuts, the sweets, the ice creams. Uh, me and Mike will try our best to. Uh, no, we won't. We, we're going to eat everything uh, while you can't. But, brother. Yeah, please do. Thank you. Uh, Mike, you got anything in closing? I have a tremendous respect for you, Ike. Yeah, you're, you're a great man. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're vocal about the drugs because I think people need to hear it. And I know people need to know they're not alone uh, in the struggle. So uh, I appreciate everything you do, man. Yeah, and that's, here's my, my last little tip for that is that there is a lot of resources from a lot of people who have struggled with it. And, and uh, it's nice when people speak up. And, and uh, the biggest thing that keeps us kind of 
separated is just not speaking up and whatever stigma. So if there's somebody who needs help, just reach out and speak up about it because help is out there, you know? 100%, man. Uh, sometimes our own pride could be uh, self-destruction, uh, but... It, it's, it's a killer, man. It'll kill you. Let us know uh, when you're running for office, brother. <laughs> not never, ever. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care, man, and uh, good luck in your training camp as you wind it down to April 11th. Hopefully, you sign that soon. We will uh, definitely find it on social media, brother. Thank you again for the time. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike and Ike. All right, I'll see you later. All right, bye. This is the Believe in MMA Mavericks podcast. That was like Valley Flag. I really like that kid, Ike. And I know you took a second a back seat to the Ike in that conversation. <laughs> And, and we appreciate it. That you're, you're a team player, Ike Feldman. That's right. I won the coach's award at purchase. So let's wrap <laughs> it up. I'll be a great team player. I've got nothing else to say. Except until next time. Enjoy the fights. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.